0: This morning, we're going to be continuing on our uh, journey through the book of Acts. Last week, if you were here, you'd have heard Ian was started the uh, chapter nine, where we looked at Saul's trip to Damascus and his conversion on the road to Damascus. This morning, we're going to continue uh, through the rest of chapter nine, and we're going to look at what happened when Saul arrives back in jerusalem to meet with the disciples our reading this morning is acts 9 uh, verses 20 to 31 the words will be on the screen but if you want to follow along you can and mike parkinson is going to do the reading for us this morning so if you can unmute yourself mike and if you're able to read that would be brilliant
1: morning all saul spent several days with the disciples in damascus at once he began to preach in the synagogues that jesus is the son of god all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on, his na- on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. What Saul learned of their plan Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers.
0: Thanks, Mike. That's brilliant. When we read this story here about Saul, who later becomes Paul, it's a bit of an unusual situation that we're in at the moment, because normally when we're reading this guy's readings, he's involved in the church, um, and the early church, writing to different uh, churches in different cities, and his writings are very much part of what the early church was and helped to form and shape and inspire the early church. But here in this reading, in this story, Saul is actually an outsider. He's returned to Jerusalem and the disciples in Jerusalem, well, they don't really want to have anything to do with him. They're scared of him. Um, And it's not really that hard to see why. It's very hard to blame them The believers in Jerusalem may well have known Saul for quite a few years. When they were before they were followers of Jesus and they were worshiping in the temple, they may well have come across Saul, who was kind of a rising star uh, in the Jewish faith. In his letters later on, uh, we're left in no doubt as to his commitment to his Jewish faith and exactly what was happening. He points out that his father was a Pharisee, that he was a Pharisee. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He can track his lineage right back to the tribe of Benjamin. He refers to himself as a Hebrew of Hebrews and with regard to the law, blameless. He was someone who had a passion and a commitment to his religion. And so they may well have known him before they became followers of Jesus. But when they did become followers of Jesus, well, Saul's zeal and passion takes on a darker turn towards them. Saul, in his commitment to his faith, decides he's going to persecute those that followers of Jesus that he believes are blaspheming. Against God not only did he persecute and and try and have arrested those people that he came across but he actively went out hunting for followers of Jesus when he went to Damascus he asked the chief priests for letters so that he of authority so that he could arrest these people and have them brought back to Jerusalem he was someone that had a scary history. And also they had personal experience of that. A member of their group, Stephen, who we looked at a few weeks ago that had been appointed to look after the distribution of food amongst the the needy so that no one would be without. He was captured and he was arrested and tried and then stoned to death. And Luke, who in writing the book of Acts tells us that Saul was there. In fact, Saul held the coats of the people that stoned Stephen and approved of his killing. And he's been away. He went off to Damascus and they they must have breathed a sigh of relief at first in Jerusalem that he was gone. But now he's back. And with a confusing claim that he's now claiming to be one of them, he wants to join them as a follower of Jesus. In verse 26, it says, when he came back to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. You can imagine them sat talking and saying, Saul's back, but but he's claiming to be one of us. What What's what's his game? What's he at? What's, what kind of ploy? What kind of trick is this? Is, is he trying to just worm his way in so that then he can have us arrested and, and persecute us more? But is he trying to find an, an avenue, an angle to, to get at us? You see some people say, well, if he wants to join us, what about what happened to Stephen? He was part of that. What about the hurt and upset that he's caused? On top of all that, it seems that Saul, who later became Paul, wasn't the easiest person to live with. Quite frankly, we hear lots of stories where people, twice in this story already, where people wanted to kill him. I don't think he was backwards in coming forward and giving his opinion. So he seems to be he wasn't the most easy of people to live with. And sort of tongue-in-cheek Luke at the end says, when they send him away... Peace comes on the church. This whirlwind of storm and storm that Paul seems to and Saul carries around with him tends to go away as Saul is sent away as well. This guy was to be feared. This guy had a history and a past. He'd caused them pain and hurt. And on top of all that, it could be difficult to live with. It's not so difficult to understand why the disciples tried to avoid spending time and being with him and so we find saul here on the outside of the group of believers and so what's at stake at this point of the story we know that his destiny the plan and purposes of god is that he's going to go on to write letters to the church of encouragement of instruction guiding them on how the church should be shaped and developed not just to inspire those early churches but to inspire us today and all the christians that have gone before there's a huge amount at stake with saul being on the outside And then in verse 27, Barnabas enters the story. It tells us that the disciples were all afraid of him, not believing he was a disciple. And then we have those two words, but Barnabas. Barnabas is prepared to enter our story here and speak to Saul. And Luke has already brilliantly introduced us to Barnabas earlier on. In chapter 4, we read that it says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, who the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and bought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Barnabas knew what it was to be an outsider. Barnabas wasn't from Jerusalem. At some point, Barnabas had been an outsider as well, but he gained a good reputation. They even named him Barnabas, son of encouragement, and he's shown his commitment to following Jesus and the other disciples by selling a field that he had and giving the money to the apostles for it to be distributed by Stephen and others to those that were in need. He had a good, he gained a good reputation. And he is prepared to stand up and speak to Saul. The message version puts it like this. They didn't trust him one bit. Then Barnabas took him under his wing. He introduced him to the apostles and he stood up for him. You can imagine Barnabas saying to the others, well, I'll tell you what, I'll go and speak to him. And we don't have a record of that conversation, but I think it would have been interesting maybe to have seen Saul and Barnabas sit down. And Saul begins to explain to Barnabas with that same zeal and commitment and passion, his conversion on the road to Damascus, his new understanding that Jesus is the Messiah and telling him excitedly and passionately about what happened in Damascus when he was preaching and teaching to the people there. And you can imagine Barnabas listening. And Barnabas starting to get a nudge in his spirit that something more than just a man talking is going on here. Barnabas was talking to Saul, but he was listening to the spirit. He was listening and starting to sense something of God at work in Saul. And so that's why barnabas's reaction is so different to the other disciples the other disciples responded in fear but barnabas is able to respond in faith not faith in saul not faith in the situation or the circumstance he finds himself in but barnabas is able to have faith in the one who is at work in saul sensing god at work barnabas has faith in god that god has a plan and god has a purpose and so he's prepared to become Saul's advocate. He's the gatekeeper that leads him into a relationship with the other group of disciples and he takes Saul to the apostles and he speaks out and tells him, tells them that God is at work and that Saul really is a believer and a follower of Jesus. In doing this, Barnabas is prepared for his story and Saul's story to be joined together. In doing it, it requires faith because he's putting his reputation and his relationship with the other disciples on the line in being prepared to speak out and vouch for Saul. One Bible commentator describes what's going on here as this. This is the quiet redemption found in a simple act of taking hold of someone who stands alone waiting for help. The quiet Redemption found in the simple act of taking hold of someone who stands alone waiting for help. This isn't Peter standing up in front of a huge group of people and 3,000 people getting saved. It's not miracles and miraculous signs on the street that draw a crowd and get people all excited. It's one man recognising that God is at work in someone else. And despite that person being a difficult person or a person with a past or history, someone to be feared, in recognising God at work, he's prepared to go and stand alongside him to help walk Saul into the things that God has for him, to help him into the plans and purposes that have been set aside for Saul and help him by bringing his, and merging his story with Saul's. As church, we often remind ourselves here at self what it is that we're aiming to be. And that is that we are a growing community of whole life disciples who are alert to God's leading, paying careful attention to one another and the moment that we're in so that we can be good news to those around us. This statement really, this paragraph, really describes the story of what happens between Saul and Barnabas. And the story of Saul and Barnabas help and show us how to actively outwork and live out that statement. The brilliance of church, the brilliance of us being joined together and connected to one another is that we can stand with one another in difficult times, at awkward times, at hard times. We can stand with one another and we can help encourage one another into the things that God has for us. You can help me develop in the ministries and plans that God has for me and I can do the same for you. That's the brilliance of church that we are thrown and joined together. We connect our stories so that together we can go forward to what God has for us. But also, the Church of Jesus is a gift to the world, and we have a duty to stand with those around us in the world as well and help those people outside of faith and outside of our community and help walk them into a relationship and an understanding of Jesus. Barnabas acted in humility, standing alongside Saul, not judging him, not lording it over him, but standing alongside and walking with him. He had an empathy and an understanding of where Saul was. He knew what it was to be an outsider. He knew what it was to be separated from the group and wanting to be part and wanting to be included. He had empathy and he's prepared to speak out and be an advocate. There's a really old story that you, I love. You may have heard it before. And if you have, then please forgive me. But it's a simple story of the man in a hole. The man is walking through a field and he falls down a deep hole and he can't get out. And he hears a noise above him and he hears someone walking past and he shouts, hey, can you help me? I'm here and I'm stuck in this hole. And a head appears over the hole looking down at him and it's a doctor. And the doctor looks at the situation, writes him a prescription and drops it down the hole and walks on. A Few hours go by and our guy hears someone else at the top of the hole. And he shouts, hey, can you help me? I'm stuck down this hole, I can't get out. And a minister pops his head over the hole. And our guy says, Reverend, can you help me? I'm stuck in this hole. And the minister says a prayer. Writes down some scriptures and drops them in a hole and walks on. A few hours go by and it's getting dark, and our guy's getting really desperate now. And he hears some more footsteps and he shouts, Hey, I'm in a hole, can you help me? And a face appears over the top of the hole looking down, and it's one of his friends. His friend sees him at the hole and immediately jumps down into the hole. And our guy says, What's wrong with you, you stupid? Now we're both stuck down here. And his friend said, No, it's okay, I've been down here before. And I can show you the way out. This morning, if we looked at the story of Saul and Barnabas, my question to you this morning is who can you stand with? Who in, in our fellowship, in your community, in your family, in your workplace, where do you see God at work in someone's life? Where do you see someone standing alone that needs someone to come alongside them humbly, with compassion and empathy, And be an advocate for them and speak out with them. Who are you prepared to join your story with? Even if it costs you, risking your reputation or a relationship. Are you prepared to be someone's advocate? Are you prepared to get alongside them and lead them in that act, as the Bible commentator says, of that quiet redemption? Who are you prepared to stand with? I'm going to ask Ian if he can unmute himself and he's going to lead us in worship and into communion. But just as we as we as we sing those songs, ask yourself in your own heart and mind where is God at work in your sphere of influence? Where do you see God at work? Who are those people at work that need someone to stand alongside them? That might be difficult, that may have a past, that may have a history. And as God, if God gives you a name of someone that He wants you to stand by and you feel that in you, God at work. In that, then in the chat, just write that name. You don't have to put a surname. You don't have to give us a circumstance or the situation. But write that name as a step of faith that says, I am going to stand with this person. I want to be involved in that act of quiet redemption. Thanks.